Welcome to Come Capers! Com Capers is a podcast that highlights tales of brand essence escapades, content shenanigans, and technology troublemaking experienced during decades of marketing communications and corporate design. Each episode, Carrie and Rebecca will share how they've overcome these hijinks and learned to laugh and stay sane in the face of corporate funny business. <laughs> Hi, it's me, Carrie, and I'm here with Rebecca for another Com Capers episode. This time, we're going to be talking about boxes. Big ones, little ones, and how we can apply our own personal brand to the boxes. But it's not all glitter and paper cutouts. What do I mean? Well, just listen to what happened earlier in the day. Hey, Carrie, I have to say that's a really big box. Why, thank you, Rebecca. You know, I think the expression is we're going to need a bigger boat, not we're going to need a bigger box. Why would I need a bigger boat? You know, I only like boats when it's a Disney cruise. I know, so you can be with Mickey Mouse. No, Prince Charming. I always wanted Prince Charming to be my boyfriend. I thought Simon Sinek was your boyfriend. He's not actually my boyfriend. Oh, uh, so tell me about this box. I mean, it's the size of a trailer home. Well, Ricky Bobby asked me to edit a promotional video for his Facebook. That's not something a graphic designer does. It's kind of fun, but you're right. It doesn't really fit in my designer box. I wish I had a designer box. Mine still has the FedEx stickers on it. (laughs) I got a bigger box so I could fit my video editing into it. Okay, I guess that makes sense, but what's with all the Care Bears and rainbows? Ooh, you haven't even seen my favorite part. Of course you have a favorite part. I know, right? Look at how I cut out my name on the side. That way everyone knows it's mine. Fancy. What are you going to put on your box? Probably just the word fragile. (laughs) So, two takeaways here. Number one, Carrie likes to make things pretty. And number two, we're not going to be talking about legit boxes. Instead, we're going to be talking about how sometimes people, and in particular, roles are put in a box with walls built up between what you can and cannot do. Well, you're not a designer, so it makes sense that you can't decorate a box. Hey, I can use markers, too. That is kind of how it is, right? People think that you can and can't do something based on your role, right? Absolutely. So I know as a communications manager, there's a wide range of job descriptions based on this title. And sometimes they're very specific, like your job is to take the instructions from the product manager, write up a creative brief, and then send it over to the vendor. And sometimes they're much more broad than that. Um, The bigger the company, the more narrow the role. And that's why small companies are a lot of times really fun because you can kind of jump across those boxes and it's kind of like all hands on deck. You know, and it's interesting because sometimes things change based on the organization and what the organization is going through. Well, and I think um, I know from a a creative professional standpoint, too, I think it also uh, rigid rules about what you what you do and you don't do can make it easier for people who are outside of the creative field or who don't do that on a daily basis to also assess your progress and how you're doing and and your contributions to the department because they have a very narrow band of, of things with which to look at you for. But there are some ways that people have to deal with when, okay, the box just doesn't seem right. The first thing is to, uh, look for another job. You know, there's a lot of research or there's a lot of thought out there that millennials are just 
job hoppers. And when you actually look at it, they're not really any more job hoppers than the Gen Xers. It's just that maybe there's more of them around. And so it just seems like they're always jumping from job to job. The research says that it's not like they're just job hopping because they don't want to commit or they don't want to do the work. They're hopping to a better opportunity because they're at the place where they're not willing to settle for what they think is too small of a box or a box that is too small for their capabilities. Millennials in general have kind of gotten a bad rap in the past. And I think, that, you know, they're getting older and they're settling down and things are changing for them. So that makes total sense that they're not hopping as much as they used to. I mean, it sounds like their reasonings for doing that are more related to preference and they want to try new things or they want to expand their boxes in different ways. Mm-hmm. And I think millennials are more willing to move around laterally or make you risks. Know, they, they, they take risks. Yeah. Security is important. But I also think, you know, I, I think back about people who, who you hear about getting stuck in jobs that they hate for their entire life. And, you know, honestly, when you spend eight to 10 hours a day and some people spend more doing something, it better be something you enjoy because it, it's half your day. It's half your life. That's mm-hmm. a lot. It is a, a lot, lot of time. And yeah. I mean, it's interesting, even the things that are, I'm getting off topic, but what what corporations are doing to make offices are more friendly to millennials. It's really focused, more focused on being a happy place, not as much about career advancement. It's just, hey, it's a happy place. So if millennials are job hopping, what do the rest of us do to change the paradigm of our positions? If we're not job hopping. If we're not job hopping. Because we're job hopping too. But not like, not us, but. <laughs> but we're, but we're growing. I think, I think where we're going with that is we're growing our boxes. Yes, we're we absolutely. We are both big box growers. I like putting like alfalfa in the bottom of my box. <laughs> I don't know why alfalfa. Alfalfa. I know. It's so the cows can come and eat it. I, I'm not sure. Okay. There's first <laughs> randomness. <laughs> so I think with both of us, um, we like to grow our boxes. I've only worked for three companies um, in my entire life besides, you know, like the pet store when I was younger. But um, and in every case, what I did was I started with a very small focus. So um, and then over the period of time, especially as my managers depended on me and, and saw what I could do, I added more stuff to the box. And I was very fortunate in that the managers that I had were not very you know, narrow boxed people. And so if I said, hey, you know what? I think that instead of hiring the agency to do our print ads and to do our direct mails, I think you should let me do it. And fortunately, my manager let me do that. And so it was like things like that time and time again, I just raised my hand and I said, hey, I want to do this. And my manager would say, yes, absolutely. You can be responsible for that. It's going to be good for you and it's going to be for the good for the company. And I'm sure my managers also said, hey, you know, if we let her do this stuff, she will continue to do the stuff that we hired her to do. And she'll be happy to do that and she won't leave. So, I mean, <laughs> I don't know. And they pay less money because they don't have to pay those other people to do it. Right. You know, if you, if you, because if you're working hard, if you get to do the stuff you want, you get to do the stuff that you are hired to do. 
Oh, but added bonus. You know what? I will write your script for you. So you don't have to outsource that to a technical writer. It made me happy and it saved the company money. So why not? I have also grown my box in other positions. I've, I've been at slightly more companies than you in my professional career, but only, <sighs> Show by, off. only by <laughs> Show off. only by maybe one. But a lot of times I have also done what you did is take on a volunteer to take on additional work. But I think sometimes also by slowly growing my sphere of influence within the organization, certainly from a design standpoint, I like to have opinions on things like packaging. And um, I know that in the past you've had opinions on product design Mm -hmm. and, and that kind of stuff, which I think are all really important. Sometimes the engineering folks and the other folks don't really, they have a completely different POV. Mm-hmm. So, um, hi, it's Debbie again. Now, POV stands for point of view, as in from my POV, your podcast sucks. Now, get back to work. <sighs> Debbie, seriously, can we just talk here? She's always interjecting stuff. <laughs> Lost your train of thought. I lost my train of thought, but that's okay. So, darn it, Debbie. Well, you know, and just to go back um, to what you were saying, too, is that before, when you were talking about having opinions and and increasing the scope of influence, I was just going to note that I think this goes back to kind of what really drives us as as people. And my mission is to make things better, and yours is to... Make it work. Make it work. And so, you know, when we look at being able to reach out and say, okay, well, anything we can do in a non-obnoxious way to kind of make the process, I mean, I'm big about making processes better. It's not just about what things look like better. I just want things to work very efficiently, and I just want it to be as um, great as it possibly can. No, I agree. Um, And that's really obnoxious and arrogant for me, for us to say as communications people, like, we'll make it all better. (laughs) <laughs> no, I'm, I'm not, I don't think we're advocating to be to be the key, the queen of everything, the queens of everything. But I do think um, it's beneficial to have a cross-functional team to look at this stuff, because I, to your point, also from saving from saving money, it's like, wow, if we make this one change, we could take out two signatures or eight pages from this booklet and that will save X amount of dollars over the run you know, of these files. So that's that's a benefit. I'm I'm surprised Debbie didn't chime in to say something about signatures. Oh, you're right. Well, thank God. I guess we're I guess we're happy. We're She's not interrupting us again. Say maybe she doesn't know what a signature maybe is. Maybe she went to the bathroom. Maybe she She's did. She's not listening. <laughs> <laughs> but I think um, how do, how does it feel to you? Like if if you if you're somebody who likes to grow your boxes, how does that feel when you don't get to? It sucks, right? It it totally does. It's more not a really a power thing, and I think a lot of times mis people and misunderstand like, okay, I want to have everything. I want my my influence. I want to put my big box over everything and say I'm in charge. Uh, right. But it's really not that. It's really more just wanting to be available so that the that things are as best as they can be, you know, yep. as, from my perspective. And other people have different perspectives as well. You know, some people find comfort in the limits or the boundaries that have been placed on them by their job description. 
you know, when it, when I've been in positions in the past where I have had a very limiting view of what I should be doing, I keep surreptitiously trying to do things that are outside that job description and no one appreciates it. Because I suppose it feels it feels like I'm on their turf, which I totally understand. Um, and I think it really is um, dependent upon the managers and the company culture. And um, also you, you were talking about what fulfills you. It also depends on how you understand or how you value the work that you're adding to the process. And if you don't value what people are, if you personally don't find it fulfilling to do that and don't value that, then you're going to feel very, very limited and, and constricted. And so it's important for us to also understand about ourselves. What is it that really motivates us yeah. in our jobs? I, I know we're talking about work here too, but I wanted to mention, because I think it's important, like we all have boxes that we live in mm-hmm. to outside of work. <clears throat> and so growing your box or learning how to grow your box, even in other areas of your life can help you with your work life or can help you find more satisfaction. If maybe you have a limiting concrete silo for work without a ladder, without a ladder, can't you climb can't up, get out, never. like you're stuck there, whatever it is, then try growing your box in those areas outside of work. Can I have alfalfa? alfalfa you can. You I can love grow, alfalfa. You can put alfalfa in it. You can have cows, whatever you want. There's, that'd, probably be, that'd probably be pretty stinky. No, sorry. <laughs> in a small silo. A small, silo. Very small silo. silo you can, you can have a little I'm sorry. With... I'm interrupting your fabulous thought. <laughs> okay. I'm just saying like, yes, know, use, use the opportunity to expand how you see yourself outside of work. You know, I was asked to be on the council at church. Okay. Well, that's interesting. Well, I suppose I, that's a way to grow my box in a, a very, um, different way maybe I'll bring different skills yeah you know so it's the volunteer opportunities and in small groups and I and those sorts of things just to kind of balance that life so if if your if your work is less satisfying than it should be then you find greater satisfaction outside of work right there are plenty of people who have (laughs) jobs that just serve one purpose and that's to pay the bills and they find their life satisfaction elsewhere do we want to talk a little bit about external perceptions of big versus little boxes? Yes, let's do that. And what do people, for example, those people who are making decisions about pay, career advancement, think about it? What do your coworkers think about the different types of boxes? In my experience, if you are telling people that you can do everything, they don't really believe you. I know, those <laughs> losers. It's just not believable. But I really think that that's um, honestly where personal branding comes in, um, which we can talk about later. But but there is some studies that show that generalists are actually making more money than specialists. Oh, interesting. And that they have an easier time finding a job because companies are looking for people that have a wide range of skills. Specialists are important, but it really depends on the problem is finding that niche of a job. Right. There was a Harvard Business Review study that looked at MBAs, um, generalists versus specialists, or it was published in the Harvard Business Review. And I think what they found is that the specialists often don't get as high of a signing bonus. But it probably could be a trend that changes depending upon how the markets are doing and how companies are doing and what they're operating with. But I think it's pretty cool that the generalists kind of have a little bit more clout these days. That is very cool. <laughs> very cool. I did not know that. I And I think what we're talking about being a generalist um, as a communications person or as a graphic designer, those are both in general generalist positions. 
I think we try to we think of ourselves as even more general generalists. So yep. that that our boxes are even bigger than the standard generalists because, like you said, you're throwing you're throwing video editing in there. We're working on a podcast. You do labeling. You know, I I do tons of writing. You know, and working on various different types of projects. So it's bigger than the typical communications and graphics roles. Are we still seen as that normal generalist? Do people just say, that's a graphic designer working at this corporation, so therefore we need to go to a creative agency because somehow working at a creative agency means their brains are bigger than yours? Well, oh, that's I said one that wrong. View. <laughs> said that's that one wrong. view. But, you know, honestly, I mean, I don't think that as an in-house person, and I know that you believe this too, um, that we've worked with, outs- we've worked yes, with outside absolutely. agencies before. And I think that they're... Um, there's a re- there's a really great opportunity to expand your thinking when you work with outside agencies. Absolutely, but I do think that there is um, some people can have a mindset that agency work is inherently better than anything that an in-house department can produce, and I think that's a very narrow view of the responsibilities of an in-house department. But that's also company specific, and I think it probably is also related to size. I yes. mean, the smaller companies probably are more willing to. Um, be open to trying different things. Um, because they don't want to spend $30,000 or whatever it is. They might not have the money to spend. That much money to spend. Um, and that's and you're absolutely right. So um, working at smaller companies, that's why it's a lot easier to say, okay, internal, internal group will let you do this. Um, whereas if you're willing and used to spending a lot more money by working with an agency, there's just a disbelief that anything as good will come out of an internal group. Uh, there is certainly some people are predisposed to think that new thinking is always better thinking. And mm-hmm. I think there's a lot. I mean, agencies have to get ramped up on a lot of things very quickly in yeah. order to be able to produce something that's meaningful. In-house groups are sometimes more plugged in and they can work really well with external agencies to help get them up to speed. Right. Maybe we should segue into talking about branding your box. I'm excited. I know you have all sorts <laughs> of stuff. I have some stuff. I always have opinions on branding, right? Um, I'm a designer. You do? Shocking. You do? I do. You do? I'm amazed. Oh, God. So first thing is that people are not brands. <gasps> they aren't? No. Oh, I'm sad. But people can represent brands, but that's basically what Debbie Millman talks about. Is it Debbie, like a receptionist? Not a receptionist, no. Oh, I don't Debbie know her last Millman. name. She's, um, yeah, I don't know what the person Gosh, how That's horrible crazy. are we? We oh should my know. God. We should know. Um, Debbie Millman is a designer. She's written books. She's Everyone talks about her. If you're in the design world, you know who she is. But she talks about how when you're talking about personal branding, you're really talking about a construct to help people understand the value that you can bring to an organization. Mm-hmm. So you're not coming up with a brand, i.e., you know, a it's not necessarily about coming up with a logo for yourself, but when you're actually talking to other people about the value that you can add to your organization, you're talking about your unique beliefs and the unique benefits that you provide to your organization. She did this, I don't know what you want to call it. It's a video series on Creative Live mm-hmm. called A Brand Called You. And she's talking about specifically to designers, but I do think you can expand it to almost anything that you're looking into. Is that coming up with a mission statement, which is again, what you believe and what benefits that you provide. You know, if you look at a resume and you're like, oh, I am proactive and I'm responsive and I'm results oriented. To be honest, everybody should be that. 
Right. 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 Like those are what she calls table stakes. Right. It's what everybody should be. That's not unique. You just right. sound like every other candidate that just sent in their information. Right. And, you know, if you're talking to your manager about it, you really should focus on what's that unique thing about you that makes things better. Mm-hmm. And Simon. Let me talk Simon. about Simon. Shocking. So I we talked before about his book, Start With Why, but he also has a, a new book out called Find Your Why, which dovetails right into what Debbie's talking about is finding out what your own personal why is, what drives you, what motivates you. And if you know that, you can develop your mission statement. You can figure out what kind of job you're actually would actually fulfill mm-hmm. you and what you really need out of a position to feel like you love going to work every day. Right. Um, so, so would that, your I'm sorry, so would your why then be make it work? My why is very close to make it work, actually. Um, That's probably the the short version. That's the elevator pitch. Not really. It's not the elevator pitch. But But you'd have to do some jazz hands (laughs) in the elevator pitch. (laughs) Okay, now Um, I want to do that. I want to make like a little gif. Make it work. Make it work. I'm sorry. Make it better, which is something different. But but it is close to that. If you drill it right down, it really is about making it Mm -hmm. work. And and your why isn't just about your job. It's it's what it, it kind of encompasses everything that you do mm-hmm. um, so it can follow you from job to job and those jobs could be very very different but they all have the same core which is you and your uniqueness and the benefits and, mm-hmm. and that comes down to your why um, something that Debbie Millman said to go back to that is that positioning and branding is really about the art of sacrifice and you can't be everything to all people but you can frame again the construct of what it is that you provide so, and that's really hard for us big box people, it right? It is really hard. Because it's like, no, no, we can do it all. No, really, honestly, honestly, we can do it all. I mean. Right? Yeah. Like 20 years and, and done everything <laughs> in marketing done communication. So, But you're right. So if I'm if we're going to talk about resumes, for, for instance, because that's really easy, a lot of people will make the list. And a lot of times it includes that list of table stakes, like results driven and blah, blah, blah. And it's just a bulleted list of all of the skills and mm-hmm. the just job. Just basically, it's your job description on crack, right? Like it's there yeah. and maybe maybe pumped up a little bit. Right. But there's another woman by the name of Liz Ryan who owns a company called The Human Workplace who talks about human voiced resumes, which mm-hmm. I think are really awesome because it gets rid of those table stakes discussions right. and assumes that anyone who has that job needs to have those things right? and gets down to talking about something she calls dragon slaying stories. Ooh, dragon slaying stories. I know, I like dragon slays. That's awesome. I, I like dragons, so I don't really want to slay them because I, I think they're nice. You're, you have a dra- you have a jacket with a dragon on. I That's do, really and I just I just really got pretty. Elliot from Pete's Dragon. I just got the oh, Anu Stuffy Pete's Dragon. That makes me cry. I know. That movie me anyway. All right. Okay. Random. So what I'm saying is dragon slaying. That's hard to say. Dragon dragon slaying stories are basically your shining moments. Shining How moments. you yes. personally to go back to Debbie Millman added benefit to mm-hmm. that particular position. Right. So it's not about the list of tasks that you did, but it's about how you changed or how you left your mark on that job. Get rid of the jargon because it's unoriginal and get back to what you bring to the table that's specific to you. Like my big laugh? Like your big laugh. No, I don't that's think all- I, I'm going to put that on my resume. I have a gigantic <laughs> laugh. 
So basically, that's showing how cool you are versus telling people that you have this list of things that you can do. I think some to some extent, that's the type of stuff that people pull out in an interview. But isn't it so much cooler to be able to tease somebody with one of those dragon slaying stories when you're trying to get in the door? You know, I wonder how that well that works on on um, like on LinkedIn or something like that, because don't you like need to just cram all the words in there? So you so you come up. I don't I don't actually know. Personally, and I agree with her, she hates the applicant tracking systems because they're just so impersonal and so lame, like to be able to qualify people based on a list of keywords that half the time don't mean anything to anybody. But it's a way of narrowing down so they don't actually have to read through all the resumes, right? It's tough. This woman actually advocates for sending snail mail when you want to apply for a job. Oh, I bet that is just like, what the heck? Just put in some scented Orange scented <laughs> letter to or make apples. people happy. Or apple scented. Apple scented. Oh yeah. yes. <laughs> um, very nice. interesting. We talked about an elevator pitch before, yes. and how make it work is probably a little bit too short. But I loved. I'm going to talk about Debbie Millman again. But I loved what she said about your mission statement. Right. It should make people raise their eyebrows when you finish telling right. them. Right. Versus roll their eyes. Right. Let's see. Oh, here I'll throw mine out. I th- I'll throw something out that I have had on my resume for a while it i think it's gets it done keeps it fun i don't know oh i like that really that would totally if yeah. you watched the program if you watch the creative life i don't need to totally watch it fit i don't need to watch it then i already got that's it that's adorable i love it <laughs> i mean do you think it's reflective though? no that's really reflective of who you are see i'm not so good at drilling it down right <sighs> to that little like i'm still working on it but i love that that's but awesome. you make things pretty. No, oh, you're you're not you're not. That's the box of really, box of designer. Box. So I, I do like the fact that you are such a pragmatic designer, and so it probably goes back to that project management aspect of yourself too, which I know you want to downplay. But you you <laughs> you know, downplays. You're you're still fluffy. I mean, not like a cat, but you know that you. <laughs> I don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> but you were saying I was pragmatic. Yes, and so you're you're not just making it pretty. And I think that is, again, one of those boxes, you know, that graphic designers, unfortunately, um, often fall into this box. But I think based on your role and what you do, you do so much more than just graphic design because it's part of that overall communications process. So whatever you're designing um, needs to work within the overall spectrum of what is being accomplished. So it's not an isolated event. And so it is very strategic in how it fits within the process. Thank you for that nice compliment. But I love those cartoons where they're like, I'm a graphic designer. Here's what my friends think I do. Here's what my parents think I do. Have you seen those? Mm -hmm. They're like six cartoons. And Mm -hmm. I love those because they're so true. Like, I think we all have, we all think things about other people's positions Mm -hmm. and what they're doing. And it's often so off base. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I I do have to say, though, that I shouldn't say it. It's stereotypical. But if you want to be just a pretty graphic designer, I mean, you are a pretty graphic designer, but um, you, you need to have a crazy colored hair. Just, I know. Just, I need, I don't look like a graphic designer. That's another box. You, it, I it really don't. It's a stereotype. Yes. Yeah, it's I really don't. I walk in for design positions and people are like, <laughs> you are way too straight laced. What is happening? You're not creative at all. Like, you know, it, it isn't. It's a, it's a thing. It's Man. weird. We, we should swap. Up, right because <laughs> you got the, you you have a little I, bit kickier wardrobe than I do I'm, I'm a little wacky that's what I love about you I think we should probably loop back and just quickly because this is getting a little long talk about positioning yourself for success so after you've 
branded yourself and you know you've kind of decided what you want, how do you raise the big banner over your box and say, find your next blank here? How do people succeed? I did a little bit of research and there's a couple of different ways that you can either jump out of your box or move forward when one of them is very akin to what the millennials are doing. Um, maybe they're not necessarily moving up, but they're moving laterally. Right. Which is a fabulous way for you to expand the breadth of your experience. And so that when you do are finally ready, maybe you're more of a generalist and that you say, I have this experience over here and I have this experience over here and I have this experience over here. And you can funnel it all up into the next bigger position that you really, Mm -hmm. really want. So at that point, you're deciding for yourself what up means. Mm -hmm. Oh, I like that. And and also probably what success looks like as well. Yes. You know, and and is success for you? And, and, and we did talk a little bit about it when we were talking about millennials and sorry, millennials for using the word millennials, but is success being happy or is success having the title? Is success moving up or is success just hanging out with a bunch of people that you really like to work with every day? And then hopefully getting to the point where, yeah, you get recognized for it. Or if maybe you, what you really do want is just a job that you can go to. And like you said earlier, Carrie, that, you know, so your fun and your excitement is outside of work and you just continue to build the balance. And, and yes, and you realize that I have to like my job okay. I have to find it somewhat rewarding because it's really hard to have a job you hate. But on the other hand, your job doesn't need to be the most important thing about you. I agree. What we went we went through a lot of information today. Yes, and thank you for doing all the research. I was just thinking about this. Um, so essentially, to summarize what I've learned today from our discussion, mm-hmm. is know yourself. Know yourself. Know thyself. That's how you figure out what's <laughs> right. in your box is right. to know yourself and to define your own success. Oh, I like that. Define That's- your success. Know yourself. Define your success, and also probably to be able to communicate your own unique value and so to be able to communicate and stand behind what you bring to an organization or actually to the world at large your unique benefit your unique benefit um so yeah i think those are some great takeaways there awesome awesome wow cool cool I think we're going to jump into favorite things now so i will start and Carrie will laugh at me, but my favorite thing is that I just got a new lunchbox, <laughs> and it's actually um, Munchlax from Munchlax. Munch, Munchlax. He's a Pokemon, Pokemon, oh. and and so he's the Pokemon. He's this little cute aqua colored thing, and he runs around. and He eats everything. So the fact that he eats my lunch is very, very appropriate. He's got these little arms, so whenever I go into the into the refrigerator, he's just kind of holding and smiling at me and holding up his arms. And I think it I've just, seen that in there. It just makes... Whose is that? I should have known it was yours. That's awesome. Because I'm a child. Because I'm a child. No, you're not a child. You're so it makes heart. It, it makes me smile every time I see Munchlags basically getting ready to give me a hug. But I think he just wants my food. <laughs> How we, about you? We will put a picture of Munchlags on... On the show notes, yes, because that's awesome. Yes, um, I okay. So mine is sounds more sounds so much more boring. Um, You're more of a grown up than me. <laughs> we know that's true. It's true. I was listening to the podcast called Ninety Nine Percent Invisible, who's oh, hosted yeah. by Roman Mars. Have you ever listened to that? Yeah. Do you? I think so. uh, I didn't know you listened to that one. That's awesome. He's awesome, and he did. I can't. I don't know offhand what the episode number is. I will find out. And we'll put it in the show notes. But it was the episode was called "Person in Lotus Position," and it was all about how emojis are developed. 
And it's an interview and a firsthand account of what the process that it actually takes to develop and get an emoji approved through this one specific organization called the Unicode Consortium. So how did eggplant? This get- is when I'm like, there and there you have to come up with design reasoning. Like, so the the proposal that you submit to this company is we just really like eggplant. Has, right, like it has to include. It's a very important nightshade vegetable. Cultural reasons why you need to have an, an eggplant. eggplant emoji. And a peach. And a peach. And, and a all peach. of this, like, it was fascinating. I mean, they talk a little bit about how emojis came to be and where they came from and then how each cell phone company has to code that emoji into their stuff wow. separately. So it's not just one bank of emojis everywhere. Anyway, I just thought it was really, really cool. I'll put a link in the show notes. It That's was kind of, I had no fun. idea that you had to submit 10 page proposals to get any, and that there were people who did this and then you can go present. You get like five minutes to talk to the board. It was just such a fascinating idea. I like the idea. I want to be the person who presented poop. <laughs> the poop, like the poop emoji. emoji. I just want to. Is it rope? Or is it ice cream? Because I have seen people argue about it. I just want to be the person who, who developed that proposal. And if it's ice cream, I mean, God bless them. Seriously, that's hilarious. But it but does look a little bit like poop. It is poop. But <laughs> they might have called it ice cream. Just like the masks that, I think I told you that at, at Walmart that one year were ice chocolate ice cream masks. No, no. They were chocolate ice cream masks. But seriously, everyone knows it's poop. Nope. Yeah. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> anyway, not gonna do it. You're not gonna wear a poop. No. Oh, gee. All right. So, um, can you even imagine wearing that to the office? Think Halloween event? Like, no. Because <laughs> that's the I? only place I would actually dress up. I, I don't dress up in my real life I for should. Halloween, but we have a thing at Halloween at the I office, should. and everyone has to wear a costume. I, I'm feeling it. I'm, you know, and I'll, and I'll wear ice cream I'll, emoji. Yeah, I'll wear chocolate can you ice cream. Make your own T-shirt that says "It's ice cream." Yeah, I, I totally wouldn't that be fun? I could make an ice cream cone, like a <laughs> loop. Wear a little cone. <laughs> oh my god, that's fabulous! All I right, you should do it. All right, so. Anyways, so there you have it. Another episode of Com Capers. If you like what you've heard, leave a comment and subscribe. If you didn't like what you heard, let us know and we so we can get better. Also, you can visit our website at www.comcapers.com and follow us on Twitter at Comcapers. I think that's it, unless you have something to add, Carrie. Yes, I have a joke. No, you don't have a joke. I do. You inspired me. I just thought I I would try to make you laugh. Are you ready? All right. What do you call a fish with no eye? I don't know. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> that, that's like a little birdie told me that you were talking about signatures. Stop using your fancy pants design terms for four pages in a booklet. Keep it real. I'm sensing that Debbie is a little unhappy with the size of her box. You know, maybe we should go get some cake and go help her figure out how to brand her box better. Oh, cake. Are we going to end every episode talking about cake? It's cake. I do love some cake.